defenses. Initiate bank protocol. Initiate bank protocol. Initiate bank protocol. Initiate bank protocol. What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Bird Protocol. I am uh, one of your hosts, Palm Reader. I'm here with Otis Morris. Hello, how's it going? Welcome to a nice, beautiful Friday afternoon, I guess. Yeah, Friday late afternoon? I don't know. We're a little late recording this one. Um, but uh, you know what? It's going to be a good one. We're kicking off our uh, Japanese cinema month. We're talking about a uh, a film that is both an adaptation uh, and a Jidai Geki period samurai piece from acclaimed director Akira Kurosawa and uh, Akira Kurosawa. Sorry, and uh, it's a banger. It's a it's a moody, um, uh, just sick. Uh, mm-hmm. An adaptation of um, William Shakespeare's Macbeth set in feudal Japan, filled with all of the, uh, you know, accoutrement and toppings and sauce that Kurosawa was known for, um, visual uh, visual and uh, tonal and audio kind of cues and metaphors and the framing of the landscape and the camera positioning and the just, there's so much in this that like it just oozes Japanese cinema. And so that's why we decided to talk about it. I haven't oh, seen yeah. it for many years, um, but yeah, it's a throne of blood, throne of blood. This yeah. One, um, so yeah, we decided to do this one instead of, you know, instead of the standard samurai film like uh, Yojimbo or, you know, Seven Samurai, which are, you know, ones that are also known as being adapted into, you know, Western movies, you know, f- f- uh, for a fistful of dollars and, uh, you know, Magnificent the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. seven. Uh, but this one, I don't know, I thought it'd be nice. What if we did a Japanese movie that was kind of an adaptation of something sort of Western, like not that Shakespeare's can like, I guess it is, I guess, you know, it's set in Scotland, I guess that's sort of the Western world, but you know, this sort of set in medieval Scotland and instead they shift the setting over the feudal Japan. And, you know, I think the shift in setting and style definitely uh, works. Like it definitely, like, the story flawlessly transitions into the samurai setting and you know, they drop obviously the Shakespearean language. Cause I don't think you could translate Shakespeare Shakespearean language into Japanese. Uh, I think that would probably be fucking nearly impossible because yeah. And I think even that, some like, Shakespearean today, like reading it today, it's like, what the fuck is this guy saying? Like, yeah. The, the, this, fuck? the syntax, like the way that the, that Japanese language and poetry works versus the way that like uh, Shakespearean English and poetry and uh, you know, beat and meter and the way that they would speak and the rhythm, it's just two completely de- like di- different things. Like it's a, mm-hmm. a, it wouldn't work if you, if you tried to do a direct one-to-one adaptation. Yeah. Um, but this is, as you said, it, it, 
adapting it into the feudal Japanese setting, the samurai lore um, and history and just the kind of tone of uh, kind of Japanese mythology and everything. It just works really well. Um, and of course, like, you know, we can't, I, I, I'm glad you brought up that we didn't choose Yojimbo or Magnificent Seven or, uh, you know, because I think that those movies, I, I mean, you listeners should watch those movies. They are very important and they very much informed so much of uh, our culture, like even star Wars, like it's yeah. on record that lots of star Wars is influenced by Kurosawa films. Like this is a uh, huge part of yeah. cinema history and in the genealogy yeah. and lineage of modern cinema comes from Japanese cinema. Um, yeah. And a lot of like, like all, like all these samurai movies from like the fifties and sixties and stuff that then became Western movies in sixties and seventies in America. Like it, they work so well and translate so well between America and Japan because both these countries were experiencing the exact same thing at the end of the 1800s. Like the end, like there were still samurais or ronin around as mercenaries for hire at the end of the 1800s. Much like in the American West, there was still outlaws and fucking gunslingers in 1890. So they both represent this sort of clash of older outlaw ideals versus, you know, in the industrial revolution, fucking cars and engines and shit. Yeah. It's like, and yeah, we can't have people fucking shooting each other in the streets or like beheading a man in the streets with a fucking sword because of a disagreement. It's, you know, 1895. Let's get shit together. And yeah. And the other thing too, is that they're so ingrained in the mythology of, of the countries uh, even even in Canada, to a degree, like the frontier stuff is ingrained yeah. into our uh, kind of cultural identity and they they become folk heroes and stuff. And that's very much what was happening. Like the time that this movie was yeah. made and some of the other films wasn't that long ago. Like it, you probably could have seen 30 years before still seen people mm -hmm. who were samurai or were cowboys uh, or outlaws yeah. and there's a period of time where a a, a outlaw from the frontier mm -hmm. west could have gotten on a boat in san francisco traveled to japan and kicked it with samurais yeah like i'm sure akira <laughs> kurosawa or somebody amongst his like regular production team was probably lived amongst samurai and which is why his movies have such a fucking like perfect feel to them and seem authentic same way as like fucking um ford whatever the good dude that made all the fucking westerns in the 40 like all the john wayne shit yeah. um like he was around you're an actual gunslinger it's like who i was it you that was saying how somebody wider wider his funeral was in attended by hollywood filmmakers and they yeah. knew him like wyatt earp was a known person who informed certain things about it because Wyatt Earp, the last ride of Wyatt Earp, uh, you mm -hmm. know, tombstone episode, go listen to that. Um, mm -hmm. because not only that movie bangs also the mustache also, also just, yes. it's sick, but, um, Absolutely. the, the, uh, that these people were, this is kind of more fresh in the 
history at the time of making these films. It's more fresh and prescient. It's where this is the period of time where those people are becoming folk heroes and you still have the remnants. And I'm watching this. I was like floored by how um, amazing their costumes look. And and then I I looked it up because I was like, I got to know this. And I looked it up and it said, you know, Kurosawa and his team of filmmakers were very, very, very adamant about capturing the truthful and realistic samurai dress code and, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of cultural norms and, and the way that they handled themselves within their own culture and stuff like that. And, and it just, it just adds this level of kind of realism and authenticity that just like, it just elevates watching Kurosawa films. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. there's some of them where it's like he takes liberties and whatever. That's part of filmmaking, right? But yeah. um it just bangs. Like the Jidage- the Jidageki, like period piece, feudal Japan, samurai stuff bangs. Like, and it's also the you see the starts of so many cinematic tropes and really cool uses of camera and even special effects. Before we started rolling, we were talking about scenes in this film where like, you know, these people had to innovate and figure out ways to make these things look real and do a pretty damn good job at it. Considering this film was made in what? 1956 probably was when it was filmed. (laughs) Yeah. Released in 1957. So yeah, probably produced in whatever during 1956, but like, yeah, a lot of the special effects is like, given that if you're familiar with, you know, the story of Macbeth, if you're not sorry the fucking the play's been around for 400 years get your shit together spoiler there's no spoiler spoiler alerts here yeah Uh, Macbeth goes insane and dies at the end okay that's that's how the story's been forever okay Shakespearean tragedy yeah like if you don't know that Macbeth (laughs) is a Shakespearean tragedy uh yeah it's called the tragedy of Macbeth is the real title of the play so you know the guy dies that's how tragedies go the main character dies so he dies in the end and just so, th- but the way he portrays madness and, you know, going into the madness, even like the surreal, like dream, dreamy sort of sequences in this for 1956 or 57, whatever, like some of these sequences are their portrayal of like madness and like surrealism is done better than some movies do it today. And this is, we're talking 65 years ago that this movie was made. So more than that, like probably closer to 80. I mean, we're 2020. So 70. Yeah. Yeah. So closest. It's probably like 70, 70 years. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Long time ago, long time ago. Um, Yeah. And some of the stuff that is like the scene with the trees, when he looks out and you, the trees are walking and it's through the fog, like I've, that rivals some stuff that came out, like visually rivals stuff that's come out in the past, like couple yeah. years. Like I, I was yeah, looking at, I was like, this is insane. This is insane. Well, shit. that's also just the landscape of Japan is fucking beautiful, which is also another comparison to the American West and like frontier shit is like, Outside of the villages, like at this time, like there was outside of villages and major like cities areas, like 
Japan is a lot of mountains, a lot of greens, a lot of forests. Like it's a very, it's a vast island. Like there's a, a lot of Japan that is still like unexplored. And that's like Japan is a very much like it's very like the cities are very separate. Like, you know, like it's so like in between cities, there's a lot of like just greenery. And well, I think people I, forget about that now, too, especially given, you know, how fucking futuristic Japan is now, is that, like, I think people forget about, like, Japan's actually a really fucking beautiful country with a lot of mountainsides and countrysides. There's snow, like... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's, and, it's like, one of those things, especially, like, I would say more so at that time. Like, now, Japan, the spread is kind of, like... You know, you have large like mega cities and stuff like that. There are still areas that are um, kind of rural, and there are areas that are protected and stuff like that. But the at the time, um, and especially at the time of like feudal Japan, um, you're right. It was uh, things were very spaced out. There was a lot of open space and a lot of varied uh, kind of ecosystems. Like you said, there was mountainous regions and snowy regions and and regions that were almost tropical, you know, like you could go from like a beachside nice yeah. area to on a mountain mountainside to kind of highlands to, it was a very varied and wild place. Um, Which and, like a game like Ghost of Tsushima, like nailed it. So yeah, check yeah. out that episode as well. Uh, if you want to talk about fucking J Japanese landscapes and, you know, the exploration of it. And, but like this movie does that so well, like, even the way, it portrays the forest as like this living maze like entity like the forest is literally a spider web like that's how they like talk about it it's like going into this forest is being like entrapped of a spider web so like the way it like even incorporates the japanese environment into it is so it's just really well done. Like I, I think we're. This is just going to be a suck fest of Akira Kurosawa. So, yeah, like, this is this absolutely. Is, um, so I guess we should explain again. Uh, Throne of Blood. Um, its literal de literal uh, definition of the Japanese name is Spiderweb Castle, um, uh, and Spiderweb Castle is the main castle of this. Uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Cast tribe group of samurai um it is uh uh the throne of blood is a 1957 japanese jidaigeki film which i had already said that means a kind of period piece uh co-written edited and directed by akira kurosawa uh with special effects by uh eiji tsu i'm i'm gonna screw up some of these names uh eiji tsuburaya um, and the film is a uh, transposed adaptation using the plot of William Shakespeare's play Macbeth. Um, and it drew uh, this movie uh, draws a lot of stylistic elements from no drama theater uh, and also um, samurai mythology and Japanese mythology. Um, and, uh, you know, it's um, it's a. a, a I pretty much the plot of the film is that uh, there are these two generals, Miki and Wazi Washizu. Um, mm -hmm. They're two samurai commanders who are uh, friends. 
they fight under the lord of the region um and that lord lives in spider uh, in the castle in spiderweb's forest spider's web forest um mm-hmm. at the start of the film it kind of starts suddenly with uh there's these battles that are going on he uh chris Arwa doesn't show the battles really um he just has this no. really cool thing where he has messengers coming in and explaining what's happening while they're all sitting there which at first i was like I was kind of like taken aback because they're just firing it off. Like it's like one guy after another and they don't really give any exposition or explanation as to who, what these fortresses are and who's, who's fighting who and all this stuff. It's just guys coming in being like fortress one is in trouble. And then another one comes in and he's like fortress two is in trouble. And then another one comes in fortress three came to help fortress two. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Um, But then you figure out that, that there's this uh, battle going on. And then we're introduced to Miki and Washizu who are coming back from a battle and they're in Spiderweb Forest and they come across a spirit. Um, and this spirit, uh, which is playing the the, the witch's characters. Uh, yeah, but it's so instead of one, the three witches, it's just one, one spirit. Ghostly looking lady boy, man thing. Man yeah, I thing. don't know. <laughs> Um, anyway, so they come back and uh, and they run into this spirit in this really cool. Uh, I want to talk about the scene that that scene um, after because I think it's really cool and really dope how they do it. Uh, they meet this spirit and the spirit tells them that uh, Washizu will uh, they will go back and Washizu will be granted lordship over one of the um fortresses and then will become the will take the place of the lord uh suzuki um who is the like highest lord the reigning lord he will yes. take he will take over his spot and then he says to miki that he will also get a, a lordship over one of these smaller fortresses or or get become the leader of one of these smaller fortresses and that his son will eventually become um, the reigning overlord and take this place that uh, Shizu will take. Um, and they, they like, they're like, yo, you're, this is weird. This is wild. There's no way that this yeah. is true. They're laughing at it. They're They're threatening it and whatever. And then the witch vanishes in a really cool sequence and uh, they wind up going back and it, the prophecy becomes true. They're both granted a high post at these um, uh, smaller fortresses. Um, mm-hmm. And then this is when it goes into the whole Macbeth thing. Uh, later, we see... Um, well, that's all Macbeth. All, yeah. Because Macbeth, this play also starts at the end of the battle where it's uh, Macbeth and... I meant, I meant like whatever. I meant like the whole Lady Macbeth part. It goes into like the. Then we go into. Yeah, once once he gets his position, then Lady Macbeth's like, "Yo, that's fucking sick." So like the prophecy, you're gonna. Yeah, are you gonna be gonna follow through on this? And he's just like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, she pretty much he it cuts to them at this uh, smaller fortress that uh, Wishizu is now the the uh, the head of. I don't know. I don't know what the how the exact ranking works. So I, I keep saying different things. But he's this smaller fortress. He's the guy who's in charge, and he uh, he winds up talking to his. Yeah, his, he becomes the so he was the commander of the first fortress, and then he gets promoted to the lord of the northern garrison. That's right. 
There you go. Yes. Uh, and then the, his buddy becomes then becomes the first the commander of the first fortress, blah, blah. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then they wind up, he winds up having a conversation with his wife, Asaji, uh, Asaji, who, and they are talking back and forth. And she pretty much goads him into uh, being like, she's like, yo, the, you know, are you a coward? You know? that you have to have strong willpower to see this through. And, and, and the prophecy first part of the prophecy is true. We have to, you know, you gotta be, you gotta pretty much, she's like, you gotta kill, uh, kill the, the Lord Zuki, um, and take his place. We got to do it. So they kind of like come up with this. You have to understand what, when watching, um, any Kurosawa film that there's a lot that's said without being said, like the film, yeah. There's a lot on, said just with eyebrows in this movie, yeah. or or like, or like weird moments where suddenly the uh, Asaji gets up when 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 <laughs> when um when Washizu goes to kill the Lord, uh, uh and and t- you know and and continue the prophecy. He gets mm-hmm. up and there's this moment where he grabs the spear and he's she brings the spear to him and he picks up the spear and then he stands there and his eyebrows and eyes are like darting back and forth. And then finally he goes and he gets in stance and walks out of the room. And then his wife just all of a sudden gets up and walks over to the, there's for some reason there's blood all over the wall and he goes over and she goes over and she does this weird kind of dance and there's this big musical flourish, and yeah. she oh the blood on the wall. That's because that's a room where a previous king or whatever was killed, killed himself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but like she goes over to the the blood, and she's like falls to her knees and does this weird thing where, uh, you know. And then he comes back in, and he's his spear is covered in blood. He's got um, literal blood on his hands. Like. Yeah, and then uh, and then <laughs> and then she takes the spear. They had given the um, their plan that they had they had uh, hatched was to drug the guards that were guarding um, Lord Suzuki, uh, mm-hmm. Suzuki, and and so they she had given him sake with drugs in it to make them fall asleep. She goes over, puts the bloody spear in the guy's hands, and then they wake everybody up saying, oh, there's intruders, there's intruders, we have to, somebody, we have to raise our And then they kill the fucking people that they frame before they can even, like, get to say, like, what the fuck is going (laughs) on? The guy's, (laughs) like, getting up, and he's, like, you can tell he's, like, I'm coming out of a drug-induced daze, and all of a sudden- He's just like, what? And then, ugh, just (laughs) stabbed right in the heart. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so then that sets off the whole uh, chain of events that will lead to Washizu uh, and becoming the uh, Lord. Um, the people who realize that he he has plotted against them, some uh, the prince and the uh, one of the other uh, kind of warlords for the now dead former uh, overlord, uh, go to back to Spiderweb Castle where uh, Miki is now taking charge and uh, he believes that his friend didn't do it. So he sh- scares them away with by shooting arrows at them and allows uh, Washizu to come in. Washizu is then nominated to take the throne and um, 
yeah and then he just starts killing everybody uh because he is paranoid and he's being driven mad because he uh want he is scared of Miki's son taking his place, which was part of the prophecy and it drives him mad. He has Miki killed. He gets drunk at a dinner and starts seeing ghosts. Um, he's yelling at people all the time. He's and people. He just the, walks down hallways, just delivering fucking monologues to himself. <laughs> like he's, he's going, he's, he's going through it. Uh, and uh, so um, the other Lords, uh, there, there is, a, he, he finds out originally he says to, to Miki that your son can be my heir because I have no kids. Um, and then his wife says, well, I have a child and he goes, well, damn, okay. I guess I don't need Miki and his son. I got to take him out of the picture. So he, he hires some men to go and kill them. Um, but they're not able to. And that's why at the dinner, he sees the ghost of Miki because they killed Miki, but not the son. Uh, mm-hmm. And as it goes on, you realize that these other, um, this other w- group of samurai uh, who had been attacking at the start are coming back and they're being aided by all of the people that uh, Washizu has spurned on or burned uh, because of his insanity. Um, and then you have the final kind of peak of madness moment where he, uh, he, none of his you can tell none of his kind of warlords and strategists really believe in him and he's he nobody will give him any help and how to defend from this army that's coming these thousands of soldiers that are coming to usurp him uh and uh so he goes back into the woods he sees the spirit again this time the spirit transforms into a bunch of different people um yeah. and tells him you won't be defeated in battle until the trees of spiders web forest come alive and rise up against you. And he goes, ha ha ha. That's not possible. Ha ha ha. And he's like, I'm not going to be defeated in war. Um, so then he goes back and tells all of his, his army that and they feel good for a minute or two uh, until um, he just keeps going on. <laughs> yeah. He just, <laughs> he just keeps going. And they're just, I think he's, they just get to a point where they're like, dude, shut up. Like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's up. And then, you know, then there's a really cool part where a bunch of birds come into the, to the, uh, 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 I guess the main room, his like throne room, all these birds come in and they're arguing whether it's a good omen or a bad omen. And I don't know. I think a lot of birds coming into your, into your house and they all screech really weird. They're all, ah! I would be like, that's, that doesn't seem like a good a good omen. But Shizu no. is is certain that things will be okay. Uh, also, I should mention his wife. The child is stillborn, and it drives her crazy. There is a scene at the end, right before the peak of madness, where uh, Shizu goes to uh, see Asaji, and she's w- not washing washing her she's just like rubbing her hands but there's no water and she keeps talking about that there's blood on her hands and it can't come off and she's gone crazy she's cracked um and then they go and they they're they're you know he's like there's no way we're gonna lose again you're right he won't shut up he just keeps talking about how there's no way he can lose and then guess what he looks outside and the trees are walking up the hill towards him and that's when he just goes absolutely nuts uh and uh, and all of his men are like freaking out because they're like, wait, this is exactly what you said 
was going to lead to us being defeated and was going to lead to us losing in the battle mm-hmm. and it's happening and it's a crazy shot it's like these yeah. trees moving on over but there's fog underneath the use of fog in this movie is excellent um it's insane yeah and it just looks so like arresting and wild and he keeps look, going back to the window and looking at it because he can't believe what he sees in his eyes and then he goes out onto the balcony and says yo, you guys can't leave your posts. There's no way I'm going to lose, blah, blah, blah. And that's when everyone's like, all right, shut up. And they start shooting arrows at him. Um, And uh, then you have an incredible sequence of him rolling or running back and forth on the wall where arrows are just smashing into the wall. And he's getting hit one after another after another. He's trying to go down the stairs. And they're down there waiting for him, shooting arrows. And there's arrows hitting the wall, arrows, arrows, arrows. And, uh, you know, eventually he catches one right in the neck and uh he walks down into the middle of the crowd tries to grab his sword and he dies and that is the tragedy of uh Macbeth that uh his he he uh you know he he that's the tragedy of yeah. Shizu well he tries well the whole thing's about like you know giving a prophecy and just allowing your fate to happen versus trying to force it and you know he just tried to force it cuz he if he just kept you know because the prophecy, the first prophecy was coming true anyway. Like he had already done the work for the first prophecy to come true, which was he'll, you know, ascend to the next position and then his buddy will take his position. And, you know, if he just stepped, you know, if he just just stayed and, you know, didn't, you know, have a crazy fucking bitch wife that was like, <laughs> hey, man, kill, just kill everybody. And if, you know, if he just kept his head down and just steady grinded at his life as a samurai, he would have probably ascended to the throne anyway. Yeah. But then he starts politicking and backstabbing and just, you know, that's the thing. That's the whole, like, the whole modern day, like, Macbeth, like, even, like, the show House of Cards, that's all Macbeth. Like, that's all, like, the the story of Macbeth is... It applies in so many ways, but I think it is like the true story of any politician, really, like, or anybody in power. Once you get so much power, you just go fucking mad. And then everyone's like, okay, this guy's crazy now. And then they get rid of him. And then the exact same thing just happens again and again and again, essentially. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Because even in Throne of Blood, it mentions how, you know, he's, though, he's worried how people are going to perceive him since he murdered the throne to then, you know, take it for himself. And, but then, but then somebody's like, yeah, but the guy you're going to kill, he killed the guy before him because the guy before him got crazy. Yeah, so like, a, it's just cyclical. Yeah. And then at the end too, and he's like, you can't kill the king. It's illegal. And he's like, you killed the king. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just like, dude, you literally, you literally, you literally did, did this. <laughs> like you literally just did this. <laughs> like, um, it's, 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 and the other thing too, is that like, it's funny because if he would have just, like it's it it the paranoia runs so deep that it become makes his thinking flawed because yeah what the thing if he believed what the spirit told him if the if he believed that that was the case then he wouldn't have to like he could have just waited and maybe the the lord would be killed in battle 
and yeah. and then he would have t- been voted to be the person in charge and the 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 spirit said that Mickey's son will will take over after you pass and it could have been amicable because he said you won't have any kids you're not you, you will not bear children it will be Mickey's son and if he yeah. would just accepted that and like chilled out maybe he could have had a couple you know a decade running the, the place and living large and having a good time and then and then pass it off but because he got greedy and was trying to control everything and was paranoid because the reason why he accelerated his fate was through blood like it was through bloodshed it wasn't through him accepting that that was just going to be the, the way that it was it was his wife was you know whispering sweet sweet nothing you know pouring honey in his ears being like yo you got to do this because if you don't do this then like you're like not you're not good like she just pretty much like gaslit him into <laughs> yeah going out there and killing the lord um mm. uh because it was like well, easy like, cuz he was there i imagine like macbeth is like to visualize like you remember napoleon dynamite and like his brother kip is like dating like a wild like puerto rican chick <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that's Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Yeah, she's like wild. she's out there. She's she she's she's just wild, and she's just like, oh, are you a nerd, bitch? Well, why don't you stop being a nerd, bitch? And she's just like, fine, I'll stop being a nerd, bitch. Fine, I'll go kill him. Jeez, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like like I, I guess Macbeth is Will Smith, and Lady Macbeth is Jada Pinkett Smith. That wow. is that wow. is it. One hundred percent. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, like Macbeth, like Lady Macbeth was like, oh, so you're just going to let like Chris Rock like do this? Like you're not going to do anything about that? And Will Smith's like, come on, Jada, I'm already winning the Oscar. And it's like, yeah, but are you going to win the Oscar and slap the shit out of Chris Rock? And he's like, fuck, damn. I guess I am. That's it. He got Lady Macbeth, dude. Lady Macbeth is the OG, like, psycho bitch. 100%. Um, and then, and then of course, he goes up and he still gets his Oscar, but then he gets banned. And then Exactly. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. you, and yeah. now he's just shunned. Now nobody, now everyone's like, okay, you're, you won the Best Actor Award, but, like, now nobody wants to fucking talk to you ever again. And then, and then also, also... What's Washiro? He he just talks for way too much. He just keeps talking until people are like, "Hey, dude, shut the fuck up." Will Smith's acceptance speech. He went on. He just kept going on. People were like, "Yeah, Denzel Washington. We love Denzel, who also played Macbeth." This is all coming together a little bit. It's all coming together. Will Smith is just a modern day Macbeth. That's wild. That's wild. Boom! You heard it here first. You heard, yeah. Uh, if anybody makes that movie, I'm I'm stamping it now. That that you owe us some money. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That is a bird protocol production. One hundred percent. That's a that's that's wild. Anyway, um, yeah, no, she's she's just she's not good. Uh, I feel bad for like Mickey because he doesn't do anything. He's just like. Oh, cool. And then he's like, yeah, my friend didn't kill the Lord. Like, he's a good guy. He wouldn't do that. Like, he, I vouched for him. Like, he's a good guy. And then it's like, oh, by the way, I'm sending, uh, I'm sending an assassin to 
cut off your head and bring it to me. Um, and then he kills the assassin because the assassin lets the lets the kid. This guy is going. He's got bloodlust. He's he's killing. He's yeah. killing. And then so you got to think about this too. That this this adaptation is the backdrop is this beautiful feudal Japan, um, and and is peppered with with the various different kind of cultural customs and lore you know they talk there's one scene where they're talking about how they saw a pack of rats running away and the one guy says you know there's that saying that the rats always leave the house before it's going to burn down and there's all the stuff with the birds and the the spirit and and you know he sees miki's ghost at the they're having a dinner and miki's ghost is just sitting there with this like dumb look on his face and he and and Shizu, he's like already mad. He's in the multiverse of madness at that <laughs> point. Uh, and he's just like, don't stop, stop sitting there. Why are you sitting there? I'll kill you again. And he's like screaming in front of his generals and stuff. And I'm like, dude, composer, composure, calm down. But no, he's in his wife's too is like, oh, he's just drunk. He's just he's just drunk. He's, yeah, he's just, just had too much. It's like. I'm pretty sure we're all just listening to a man confess a murder, right? And everyone's yeah. just like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're, me and you, yeah, we're seeing this, right? Dave, you're seeing the same thing? Okay, we're going to move on now. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And like, I love that scene always in every version of Macbeth. Like, in the tragedy of Macbeth, the recent one that the one Cohen brother did with Denzel and Francis McDormand. Fantastic, fantastic. But like that scene as well is fucking hilarious because he's just like he's like stumbling around like saying crazy shit. And Lady Macbeth's just like, nah, it's cool, just like move along, move along. Like the same way it's like you're walking like downtown and you see like a drunk girl like throwing up on the side of the street, and her friends are just like, There's nothing going on here, like just move along, like. Lady Macbeth had that very has very much that energy, and I, like I'm here for it, but it's also like that's psychotic. There's a lot of Lady Macbeth, uh, or there's a lot of Macbeth movies. They've, oh, they've dude, done, this is the amount of, of Macbeth movies, it's insane. How many movies of Macbeth? Like, yeah, I don't know. This one, this one's cool because I the. The recent tragedy of Macbeth went sick because it, it they did it in black and white, and a lot of the watching this movie Throne of Blood made me realize I think Throne of Blood was probably a bigger influence on tragedy of Macbeth, like stylistically, than any other like Macbeth adaptation I could think of because like it just has also like a good use of like black and whites and like you know mists and stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I love yeah. it because, yeah, I like that I've watched both these movies recently because it's cool to see, you know, even like because the structures, like the, uh, the 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 settings, like in this one, like the feudal Japan setting, I love it. I love anything set in like feudal Japan, but then in like the Cohen uh, Macbeth, like the setting like the set design like it's it's weird like it doesn't make sense like it doesn't it seems like otherworldly almost and like i don't know it i'm then watching this movie i'm like oh yeah this seems a lot like throne of blood because throne of blood even though it is feudal japan like there are like rooms that almost feel like like the room where like he is like freaking out like and like seeing the ghost and stuff like 
it just seems like a, I don't know, it just seems like a weird room. Like it's just a big empty room and everyone's just sort of like sitting along the edges. I don't know. It's, it, it, well, that's, and that's again, cause that's like, I'm pretty sure that that's like a, a real thing. It just, it translates so well, like the kind of like, not only the landscape physically, but like the cultural landscape, it translates so well. Yeah. And it fits with like the mysticism of the story. Like that's, that's what I mean is that like the, the setting of feudal Japan is kind of like unsettling and in the same way, the story of Macbeth is kind of unsettling. And like, you see like the setting itself sort of like go into madness. Like even at the end, when he sees the trees moving, which is it's literally just soldiers carrying branches, but he's become so disillusioned, so deluded by this prophecy that he's just seeing the forest moving. And like, I don't know, the, I don't know, I just feel like this, just the setting and the way the, the movies look, it lends so, it lends so much to, the deterioration of like Macbeth's like psyche. almost. Yeah. And I think that this is, I, I think that goes back to, you know, Kurosawa using a lot of visual and auditory cues using, um, uh, kind of also using the kind of omen, uh, you know, transferring the kind of, as you said, spiritual mythological omen, um, kind of the spooky yuki stuff into it and it still works really well because mm-hmm. it's a kind of similar you know it's it's kind of similar but also different enough that it, it makes it unique and just like even the stuff like you said in the forest and the scenes where he, they're speaking with the spirits um or the spirit even though the spirit takes multiple forms in the last part, the, uh, that, that it's just shot really well to emulate the kind of madness. And he also uses really like interesting close-ups, um, especially near the end of the film where you're seeing, uh, and even just even, I mean, Japanese cinema in general, they kind of follow their own rules cinematography wise. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a lot more, uh, if you know about, about Japanese culture, um, that it's, it's, there's a, a level of kind of, uh, skill of, 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 of artistry in all aspects. So a lot of the things that they choose, he chooses to do are very, uh, this movie is very intentional is what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. all of the scenes yeah all of the cuts, all of the close-ups, the way the camera moves, it's all incredibly intentional in a way that isn't, um, it's not necessarily, uh, what's the word that I want to use here? It's not, not ab- the, the, abrasive. But, but the, like, me- the methodology is more about the artistry in the camera eye than it is about following the protocol of, what's been done before. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they've kind of follow. like, if it makes sense to do something at this point, then do it. Like if, like if it makes sense to have a swipe transition at that point, then do it. Like it which doesn't, is, which is something that comes around later in Hollywood, but in this, in this period at the same time in Hollywood, the films that they're making are 
there's a very defined rule of the way that you make it and the way that you you do things. And of course, there were directors that were pushing the the edges of that, but there's more care placed in the artistry of the actual mm-hmm. act of filming and and thought put into the way that the camera perceives. And this is we're getting into like into actual well, yeah, like and then like cinema, there's cinema actual theory. like technical Japanese like cinema stuff. Like for example, in traditional Japanese film and traditional Japanese households and shit, they sit on the floor. Now, to film somebody on the floor is difficult because you want to have them centered. You don't want to have too much floor below them and you don't want to have too much headspace above them. You want the characters to be perfectly centered. So you have to get the camera directly down on the floor with them. So which is difficult. Like so like there are like technical aspects of like Japanese film that you wouldn't even consider in like uh, like an American film. Like if I was doing a dinner scene in a film, it'd be like, okay, have one person sit here, have one person sit here, shot, reverse shot, yada, yada, yada. You know, I can move around the table and whatnot. But then, you know, thinking that you can use like things and it's like, okay, I'm not going to, you're not going to see anybody's lower half of the body. But then if you're like, Okay, a Japanese dinner, they're on their knees. Like you have to yeah. re you have to fully reconsider something as simple as like a dinner because that's how Japanese culture is. It's yeah. different. Well, they and, and they to- also they also like it whereas you said the shot reverse shot like the 180 rule, it doesn't yeah. really exist in Japanese cinema. They just yeah. shoot to to it's it's the poetry of the of filming like you mm-hmm. the you look at japanese filmmakers like kurosawa or ozu you know you you're the that it's more about the poetry of the of the shot well and, yeah you see it a lot more in ozu films yeah. especially like because he's dealing like he's just doing like you know intimate dramas of like family, yeah, dramas, family dramas and dramas stuff and so stuff, like so. the way like he can frame like say an elder man talking to like a small child but like you know, and framing them in ways because you know, since the Japanese they respect their elders so much more than we do, which any culture I think should respect their elders. But in Japan, they seem to have it on lock. Like, yeah, seems like old people really got the respect. Like, any anyway. So like, so that's like an aspect. So you want, so you want to show like an older person, like kind of like in a higher regard, and like, yeah. So like, there's a lot of canted like angles and. And, and yeah, the 180 rule in Ozu films, like there's like one shot where he's in like a field. I forget what movie it is. It's with a kid and the kid's just running. And yeah, the camera, it just, but and it makes sense. Whatever. It makes sense because it works within their own kind of system of this kind of like skillful artistry, poetic camera eye filmmaking that winds up, you wind up getting a lot of things out of Japanese film, especially from this time, that become um, really kind of uh, prescient. Now, they are happening in other film. In You know, Japanese film is highly influential, but so is the French New Wave. You know, so is mm-hmm. the, 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 all of these things come together to create what we have now in this post-post-postmodern era or whatever the hell it is. Um, that you know you you wind up having 
the, the pastiche, the mosaic of all of these different influences um, coming together. Uh, but you notice this in this film because sometimes it, the way that they shoot it, like one of the ones that I thought was super weird was they have this scene where they are chasing the people on the horses. So, um, uh, our Macbeth character is chasing after the prince and the advisor to the old, uh, Lord. And they're mm-hmm. trying to chase him to the, to the, the spiderweb castle. And it's, they're on, they start off going, there's like a big scene where everybody's running for some reason. And I was like, I don't understand what really is happening here. Like all of a sudden there's a battle, but like, they oh, yeah, cause they're chasing after like, the guy and his son, right? Yeah, but they don't explain yeah. that right away. It's just all of a sudden, it's like multiple random angles of these people freaking out. And you're like, yeah. what is happening? Like, it shoots the horse going one way, and then it, the camera switches to where the horse w- passed, looking back, and then it switches to another one looking from the ground up at them, at the uh, at our Macbeth character, um, coming to talk to one of his other guys, or Wishizu's coming to talk to one of his generals, and it's all kind of chaotic. And then they switch to this chase where, and so the space in that area isn't really defined. Like, you're like, what the hell is going on? But it's just meant to show that there's all this chaos and that this stuff is happening. And as it's going on, you're getting a bit of information and they're chasing him. And the camera goes obviously on horseback filming the two going away and then it cuts back in in the road to Macbeth the Washizu and his men chasing mm-hmm. him and it cuts back and forth between the two chasing and in the background you see them kind of getting closer but then all of a sudden they're far away again and it's very confusing and then all of a sudden it cuts mm-hmm. for no reason into the middle of the woods and you just see them like going along the path and the camera kind of lazily follows them along, but you can't even really see them. You can see them, but you don't know who's who. And it's very undefined. And like, that's really, really that whole sequence is, is like poetry. And it's not for people who grow up watching kind of classical Hollywood or following the cla- the kind of expected yeah, Hollywood norms. you know, the action in the Hollywood movie, it, all the action would be moving from left to right, like the chase sequence. Like, so the person in front, you'd see them enter from left, exit right. Then the people chasing them would enter left, exit right. Yeah, then, you know, <laughs> change and change and whatever. Maybe you have a larger establishing shot where you see them both on a pathway. But like, yeah, something like, you know, having a, like a like a shot and seeing them coming like on coming and then switching to a totally different and them running in a totally different direction. Like, it's, I don't know. But that's also, I think people, well, at least in American cinema, I think especially old Hollywood cinema, I think they really thought like viewers were like really dumb. I think that's that was the thing was that I think American directors were just like well if they're going in this direction and then you know the next shot's them running the other direction maybe people are going to think that's a different person but it's like no we have eyes like i can see that's the same person (laughs) and that you know obviously the camera has just moved and i can assume that there's been a jump in time which like 
I also you know, think, I think that's the thing is that the movie's not hold, like Japanese cinema. It's not like holding your hand being like, see, see, well, yeah. see. Well, I think that that, that, that again goes back to kind of the, uh, view of, of it as more of, a uh, uh, skillful artistry. Like I think mm-hmm. in, it got to a point with classical Hollywood where it was product, and I think that that is a cycle that the Western that Western cinema goes through time and time again. I mean, I think we're in it right now with the Marvel stuff and everything like that, that we go through periods of time where people kind of come to expect a certain product. And so it's, you know, especially in classical Hollywood film, as it's going on, you see kind of people who are just like, we need to adhere to this standard of producing this type of thing because we know it's what people can manage and accept and whatever. And then you see the disillusion of that in new Hollywood in the seventies where suddenly people like Scorsese are like, all right, we're going to have Robert De Niro fighting a guy in a ring, but we're going to shoot it uh, in, you know, have these wide, like weird um, trolley shots. So we're going to have weird sudden close-ups and all these, you know, things that people weren't used to. And then of course that gets assimilated into film and then it becomes kind of a baseline. And then you have a period of people making things one certain way. And, and then eventually you have people that break against it because there is artistry in filmmaking in, uh, in America, but it's such a large business where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it became kind of a product to sell to people. Whereas I feel like a lot of the people who are making films in this period in Japan had a kind of reverence for the artistry of the camera's eye. And, and also for like, they have a different sense and sensibility about what is, uh, what works for them, the way that they, it's even a cultural thing, right? Like the way that they approach thinking is different than, than stuff. But then ultimately, you know, I, I, agree that like i don't think that these movies are are necessarily hard to follow or yeah you know what i mean like i don't know why it was there was so much emphasis put on we have to make things follow this adhere to this standard of expectation but it could very much be that a lot of it became kind of you know a product to sell as something to something to entertain the masses um Mm -hmm. whereas this was I'm sure it entertained the masses there, but there's kind of a reverence for the Jidaigeki filmmaking, for the samurai lore, for blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's a very... I would say, like, Akira Kurosawa, his films and his style and the way he manages to balance, like, artistry and, like, the higher art and also just, like, making just fucking fun, entertaining movies. Like, it's very much like fucking Spielberg. Like, and like I know Spielberg like cites Kurosawa as one of his favorite filmmakers and one of his biggest influences and like that makes so much sense because like it at like they're they both make insanely big movies on huge fucking scales they feel like they're huge events and like you know they do both do a lot of like historical stuff and like all their movies are consistently good. And like, I think that's the thing is that it one like a good director has to understand, like this is entertainment. Like this is fucking entertainment. Like, and that's the thing, like you got to make, firstly, you just got to make a movie that people want to see, but then 
you you can still add in like yeah, fun and shit like and like cool stuff to spice it up and like I don't know Spielberg's just the first that came to mind like because he is such like you you think Spielberg is very generic and like I've always maintained a theory that you know Spielberg's only ever made two movies in his entire life he just remakes these two movies over and over again yeah but that's the thing is that he's nailed the fucking formula that he only has to make the two movies that's all Spielberg that's all I want I want Spielberg's summer blockbuster entertainment movie and then I want his December sad slow four-hour history movie that's what I want (laughs) I think that the other thing too is that like um it's uh I like that you pointed out because I wasn't trying to say that like that you know French filmmakers or Japanese filmmakers or whatever they were trying to purposely make it like they were trying to overcomplicate the artistry. I just think that there is a no. more of a, of a realization of, of, and, and kind of interpolate in, how do I, what's the word interpolation of, of the artistry into the joy of film. Yeah. Like I feel like in, in, you know, you obviously art, I mean, you create art for yourself, but you also create an experience for people and there are some films, uh, you know, you can get into the world of art films and films that are meant to elicit negative responses or be hard to understand purposely yeah. because they're super cryptic. But this is like, what, I, that's a, yeah, I don't think this movie. No, no, no. Like, and I, these, that's what I'm saying. Isn't, whereas like the French New Wave, like Godard and shit, like they're deliberately like, yeah, I'm just going to do this because this doesn't fucking make sense. I'm just going to jump a month in time in a totally different setting. You're just like, why? This doesn't make sense. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there are levels to it, but I just think it's that the Japanese filmmaking did such a good job. Filmmakers did such a good job at kind of melding those two worlds, the respect and the artistry behind the actual cinematography and filmmaking process and storytelling and all that stuff with making things that were fun and enjoyable to watch. I mean, Seven Samurai is, uh, was, is, you know, a pillar in cinema history. And it's got all these things about it that are artistically and narratively, uh, uh, you know, um, that were, you know, new at the time and that, that were very, um, that influential and, and changed the, and, and, and changed the course of filmmaking history, but it's a good movie to watch. You know what I mean? Like you watch yeah. it and you're like, wow, this is art, but I'm also really enjoying the samurai. <laughs> you know, like I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. the story and what's happening. And I just think it's really good. And I'm glad you said Spielberg because Spielberg's a good example of that. I mean, some of his biggest movies are um are blockbuster films, are films that he wanted to make for entertainment. But I think he, like many of the kind of new school of filmmakers, understood that, you know. You, it's to be enjoyed. Look at Scorsese. Yeah. Look at you know any of the people from that class that they that they like, knew the artistry and respected the artistry, but they also understood about the viewing experience and making something that is mm-hmm. palatable and enjoyable, and people want to see more. You know, yeah, like to me, it's insane that the dude that made fucking ET also made Schindler's List. Like that's. Fucking hey, crazy. Jurassic like, Park and Schindler's ins- list back to back. Yeah, like that's like, insane. Like in the like, same year, made Jurassic Park and Schindler's list was editing Jurassic Park while he was filming Schindler's list. Dude, hmm, dude goes crazy. Yeah. 
listen to our Jurassic Park episode too if you want to hear more about Spielberg because we talked more about him in there. Anyway, um, yeah, this movie and and again, as I said earlier in the pod, for a film from this time, the special effects and the kind of atmosphere and the use of landscape and everything, it's insane. I want to talk about the the two, I want to talk about the the scene where they find the spirit the first time. And mm-hmm. we were just talking about this before we started recording, where there's this moment where they after they talk to the spirit, the spirit, um, well, leading up to them finding the spirit, they're in the woods. And there are all these like shots of the trees and light coming through the trees, but it's raining. And then they hear this laughter, this echoing, oh, ha, 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 ha. and they're freaking out. They're like, oh my God, what are we going to oh, do? Yeah. Like, oh, there's also this fucking like terrifying sounding pan flute that's like piercing. Like it is a piercing pitch. My cats were upset yeah, my, by my, the sound. My, my cat didn't like watching this, me watching this yeah. movie. Like the uh, high. Yeah, it was. Um, and then so then there's this cool thing where they go off to chase after it. Again, the space is not defined because the camera's jumping around to all sides of them. You're kind of like, what's going on? It's confusing. Um, but then they go off and they chase after it. And there's this amazing scene where he's shooting them, running through the woods and I, he must have found the right angle where the sunlight was coming down on them um, because the rest of the forest looks black and gnarly and they're running through and they're like lit up. I don't know if there's like a, a light that was on them or it was just like natural. I don't know how he did it, but it looks crazy. And then they pull up on the spirit and the spirit's there spinning her little wheel, singing her little song and gives them the prophecy. And then afterwards she stands up and she takes off her, her coat i guess and when she takes off her coat it flies back towards the screen and then cuts Mm -hmm. and she is gone and it's zoomed in on them and pulls out and then the hut that she was in is also gone and it looks great like it, it actually looks like it gives this mystical feeling this thing where it's like whoa how did they do that like and this is 57 56 yeah and it's and it still delivers the same amount of like ooh, that like you know a million dollars on cgi <laughs> now yeah but crazy. like i don't know just seeing such a simple practical effect of like okay so they're gonna go they're gonna di- the person's gonna disappear we're gonna push the camera in the characters are gonna enter that frame and then we're going to get rid of the hut before the camera pulls back to reveal it. Like, I don't know. I just, it's just like a smart, practical effect. But like, I don't know. It's, it's done it's, so well. It's when it's done so well. And it's also like, you know, you kind of like, I wasn't kind of, ex- I wasn't honestly wasn't expecting it. Like when it pulls back and the hut's gone, I was like, oh, fuck. The hut's yeah. gone. It was, it was Shit. it's just done I, really well. Oh, yeah. It? And they do it again. Somehow they do it again when he sees the spirit again, where the spirit's flipping around to all sides of him coming out. And use of fog in this movie is crazy. Like with the trees, um, there's a scene at the end right before he gets arrowed. Well, where where he's yelling down at his uh, warriors and being like, you guys are cowards and whatever. And they're all standing in the fog looking up at him. And it looks like they're on a cloud or something like it just, it's so cool. It's so cool. Like there's so much really, really amazing framing and there's this, the, I, 
the scene right at the end when he falls down after he, he gets arrowed a bunch and he walks out and he, he falls down onto the ground and you see his body and there's like kind of like a circle around him where there's no fog, but then going away from him, there's fog and all of his samurai warriors are standing there looking at him. I was like, I want to put that on the cover of an album or something like this is yeah. insane. It looks, it looks crazy. Um, also, like the subtle cut of like the part when he gets shot in the neck with a fucking arrow, like that. That's that's just a simple, just quick cut is all it is. But like, it's so smooth. I like, I had to go back because I was like, I know exactly how they did that. Like, it's literally they just got him to stay in position. They kept the camera in position, and then makeup installed a fucking arrow in his neck. But like, it's like. I had I went back and it's like just the slightest bit off like they almost na- like it's almost such a flawless cut and like but there's like just the slightest bit of camera movement that also hides the cut as well and I'm like this is just such smart like filmmaking like knowing like I imagine uh Hirasawa whoever his cinematographer what what like was they were like okay so like we have to do something because if we just have a static shot we're not going to be able to perfectly recreate his positioning and like the lighting even like whatever like you know so to then just be like okay we'll just have the slightest tilt and then once we come back and he has the arrow in his neck you know just continue that tilt but then cut it it's i don't know it's just really i just like fucking seeing how effects were done in like the old times like before cgi and like you know huge budgets came in and like did shit like i'm like old effects are crazy like i'm still fascinated by half the shit kubrick did in 2001 space odyssey which he made in 1960 whatever like half the shit he did in the 60s i'm still like how the fuck did he do that and like I don't know. I feel like somebody's got to compile. Like, th- like you've seen those things of where it shows like old like Charlie Chaplin and like Buster Keaton stuff, where it like shows where the camera was positioned, what is an actual set, what's a drawn like piece, where like you know, and how the actual like effect. And it's all like just trickery of like the eye and whatnot. Like, I love that shit, and I w- want somebody to like compile like something like that of like really cool cuts like this of like people getting shot and stuff like in old timey movies yeah like just just to look at it and see how it was done it's uh yeah like to see how like something like how a hole just appeared like i don't know i I just want to see that i just i'm uh, just amused and um the toshiro mifune i think that's how you say it the character um actor who plays uh shizu um he his face is wild like he and he he did 16 films with kurosawa um you know he he's been in in throne of blood uh um he also was in uh seven samurai um, I believe Yojimbo uh, as Yojimbo, well. Yojimbo, Rashomon, hit the Hidden like, Fort- Fortress, Throne of Blood. Um, like he's kind of the face of Japanese samurai cinema. Yeah, and he's just in this movie. He's firing on all cylinders. Like some of the close-up stuff, 
uh, some of the close-up shots and, and and went near the end when he's going insane and his face just, it's like so filled with like rage uh, and like fear. And he just does such a good j- job of, even after he gets, um, after Miki and, and, and he get the new posts after the, the, this thing happens, um, mm-hmm. where they meet the spirit after the battle and says, you're going to get these new posts tonight. And they go mm-hmm. back and they, they do the thing where the, uh, the Lord says, Hey, take this. Um, and t- you know, the, take this sword. Now you're the head of the Northern garrison. Hey, take this sword. You're taking over his old post, uh, you for your bravery and for all you've done. Um, you know, and then as they're walking away, with which is a really cool shot because the camera set up behind them and they both go up and get the swords. Um, and it, I think it briefly cuts to them, their faces as they're uh, accepting the swords. And then it goes back to being behind them and they turn around and walk away. And you see, uh, you see Washizu like kind of like his eyes dart back and forth. Cause he's like, Oh my God, it came and it's so subtle, but he just kills it. It's just so good. Mm-hmm. He's just the, the look on his face of, Yes, Grace. My cat's coming to talk about samurais now. Um, oh yeah. The, uh, the the look on his face, the slight movement of his eyes, and the way because they're obviously supposed to stay com- composed, right? Like it's a, a lot about composure and mm-hmm. calmness and stillness and and respect towards their lord. But they turn around and they're walking away, and it's just this slight crack of holy shit. You know, and it's so good. It was like I I watched it and was like, "Ooh, all right, I know what's gonna happen." Like even in that look, you're like, "Oh, this guy's this is he's not gonna he's getting he's getting sucked into it already." And then of course he goes to see his wife, who does an incredible job at seeming like a evil, sneaky, weird lady. Um. And her facial expressions the whole time are wild. Like just great work across the board in this film. I I can't uh, say enough how much I enjoyed rewatching it today. I just thought it was, you know, sometimes you got to go back, man. Sometimes you got to go back and look at where classic film and see some of the stuff that they did and really like dig into it because you realize how amazing a lot of it was. Like, I think there's this level of wonder in film that's kind of gone away a little bit because CGI has made everything possible. And this isn't to say that I don't like CGI, but like, you know, like I think that there was a period of time where when CGI stuff happened, like think of like James Cameron films or Jurassic Park or any of the early CGI stuff where when you saw it, it was like, unbelievable because people haven't done that before but now pretty much everything has been done right like you need a guy yeah who's a, who's a half bull half man with a giant axe sure you need a dinosaur sure you need a a, a sh- sharknado sure you know what i mean like mm-hmm. and then you go back to a certain point and you look beyond into the history of cinema and you see some of the things that, that they were able to do and emotions they were able to elicit and the practical special effects. Like you said, I hope somebody has a super cut of practical special effects from, from the history of cinema. Um, and you look at it and you're just, it's kind of a little bit magical. I don't know. Does that, is that yeah. a weird, 
weird weird way to put it. It's just kind of some of the yeah, stuff like that just, they did was like because like now like thinking like that final scene like all those arrows being shot like those are real arrows being shot at him. Like he is he is avoiding real arrows. He is literally running away. Like now like if they did that shot obviously they would just DGI arrows in or they would have like non-lethal like arrows or something. I'm sure they have like something like that or like yeah, they have like magnetic arrows like I've been to like they have shoot fucking fake arrows at like shooting ranges and shit like i don't know joe rogan has fake arrows i'm sure they exist so like (laughs) fucking like that's so crazy thinking that he had like because you watch that scene when he puts his arm out that's him directing of where he's going next so that the fucking archers don't shoot him directly in the fucking chest yeah and some like some of the shots you actually see where they've uh, you can see that they've re they've reshot it because there's holes in the wall. I guess one yeah. thing that I noticed that they obviously that they were retaking stuff because they wanted it to look a certain way, and that's you know takes our very normal common mm-hmm. part of filmmaking. But with this, you actually see the holes in the wall, and you're like, damn, they're actually shooting arrows at this guy. And he's he's yeah. going back and forth, and it's a very controlled, very. Um, but it's also chaotic, like the actual final version of it and him going back and forth and the camera switching random angles and then pulling back and then going, shooting him from below. And he's just like running back and forth. Like it's, 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 it's insane. It's, there is a real poetry to it. And yeah, this is just, it's wild. It was just such, so good to watch. And I, we both love Japanese cinema. So like, this is us, like, as you said, a huge suck fest on it, but just yeah, great stuff. Yeah, it really great just stuff. made me want to go and just watch a whole bunch of other Kurosawa films because, well, like, I don't know, they're just so fun. They they really are. And, like, and just, like, beautiful and fucking sick movies. Like, oh, they're we'll just definitely, awesome. We'll definitely come back around because we got to talk about Yojimbo. We got to talk about... Uh, maybe we'll do a Kurosawa three-peat and we'll do, you know, Yojimbo, Rashomon, and uh, and Seven Samurai, like, later in the year or something. Yeah, or you could do, like, I don't know, Ran and, I don't know, there's so many. Or we could do Yojimbo and Sanjiro, like, Sanjiro. We could do fucking, yeah, we could, I don't know. There's, there's so many Kurosawa movies that I would love to talk about, but, like, I don't know. Now we've now talked about samurais between this and like Ghost of Tsushima. We've talked about samurais, I think, enough for quite some time. Like, unless some like we had some sort of revelatory fucking samurai. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, which could Ghost be possible. Of, Ghost of Tsushima was almost a year ago now, so you know True. we're 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 we'll we'll give it a little bit of time and we'll come back. We'll talk more about him, you know, in later in the year, next year, or something like that. Because we got to talk about those movies. Um, but I mean, and just to round out, the film was uh, the second highest earning film in Japan that year. It was released in in uh, in America in '61. Um, it's considered one of the better film adaptations of Macbeth to this day. It won. Um, uh, uh, film awards in Japan, including best actor for, um, uh, both the, uh, um, Toshiro Mifun and, uh, uh, Isuzu Yamada, who plays, um, 
the wife, the Lady Macbeth, uh, Lady Asaji Washizu. Um, and uh, yeah, no, this this did really well. Um, people still talk about it to this day. Uh, and, you know, there, I think that some of the critical respect re- reception at the time, um, some of it was really good. Time said it was a visual descent into the hell of greed and super superstition, which is, I think is a banger quote to explain yeah. it. Um, uh, some people thought it was the idea of Shakespeare in Japanese was quote unquote amusing. Um, uh, but you know, they said that, um, some people, I guess at the time didn't really get it as much, but there was a lot of on the American side, people complimenting the cinematography, the visuals said were said to fill the gap left by the removal of Shakespeare's poetry. You also have to understand at the time Shakespeare was probably like, I mean, Shakespeare is still revered now, um, but you there weren't a whole lot of adaptations of Shakespeare that were not um, kind of just direct rips of the stage play. You know, like people kind of yeah. cared more about the fidelity to the truth of Shakespeare at the time um, than, than now they don't feel uh, uh, as, as uh, it doesn't feel as tethered because there's been multiple kind of like modern remakes and you know there's Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet and there's the Titus movie that has um oh homeboy in it what's his name he's bald in it Rafe Rafe and uh, yeah and you have a lot more of of kind of wiggle room and stuff but people at the time um you know film historian Donald Ritchie praised the film as a marvel because it made because it is made of so little fog wind trees mist um and and uh, and they Stephen Price compared its minimalist landscapes to a painting technique called sumaye, which is like a Japanese style pa- uh, painting. Um, Harold Bloom said it was the most successful film version of Macbeth, um, and uh, uh, you know people were saying. In fact, it was more, much more satisfactory than the than most Shakespearean films. I mean, this is mm-hmm. now later and later on as time went on. People are yeah, looking and I think it. it still holds up. I still would say like Throne of Blood and the recent uh, Cohen Macbeth, Tragedy Macbeth, were probably the two best screen adaptations of Macbeth. Again, if you just want to, if you want to experience Macbeth, just go find a copy online and just read it. Like you just yeah. read Macbeth in a single sitting. Half of it's not going to make sense because the language is fucking dumb. But like, or go to eh. a play. I'm all, I'm an advocate for going to see a play. And and that's another thing. Speaking of yeah. theater, is that is that Japanese cinema pulls a lot from Japanese theater, which yeah. like Japanese comedy or Japanese anything is its own thing. You know, there's different. Uh, there's uh, the Japanese theater. Um, is uh, held in a different light. I mean, here people care about theater and understand theater, but mm-hmm. there, I think because they were kind of slower to the industrialization um, that for a long time, shadow theater, uh, you know, no theater and all of that stuff was a lot more um, present in society and it was considered a very high, mm. high art. Uh, yeah. Whereas here, um, you know, 
I think that there's a there that theater. I see. I don't think that they, you know, were slow to uh, industrialization. I think that they embraced industrialization, but also embraced tradition. Whereas, yes, yes in that's a good point. Yes, America and Canada, as soon as the industrial revolution happened, we're like, fuck everything that exists. This is this is the new shit. Time to and, change. And that and that is a common fucking, you know, mistake that we make over here is that once the new shit drops, we immediately just say fuck the old thing. Like once film dropped here, people are like fuck theater. But it's like, no, there is still fantastic theater being made. Yeah. Um, especially like, you know, if you're in New York, obviously there's a lot of fantastic theater there, but like, and, and we get a lot of good theater here. Let's not mistake that we live 40 minutes outside of Shakespeare Stratford. and Stratford where <laughs> literal, it, might as well, it might as well be called Shakespeare because no, the town next to Stratford is literally called Shakespeare. Oh, well, there you go. If you're driving in the Stratford, the last town before Stratford is Shakespeare. So, yeah. So, yeah. you know, like theater is very, like, it's still very much alive. There's the fucking St. Jacob's Little Theater. There's the fucking Kitchener-Waterloo Little Theater. Oh, I know. My St. I mean, Jacob's my grandma, Fun, whatever. <laughs> my grandma is and, a playwright. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm aware of it, but you're, I like the point that you, you, the point that you made about, um, about the about the fact that they i mean as far as industrial revolution they were because of the isolationist policies of japan leading up until the early 1900s it was um they got a lot of stuff very quickly because they had like the whole isolationist policy i mean um, around that time was the dissolution of the samurai clans and all that stuff but the 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 they like you said, they kept tradition um, mm-hmm. as much as they accepted the change, which led to them kind of applying the traditional thought to the new stuff instead of saying, oh, fuck that, clear off the whiteboard. We're going to we're going to go all in on this new stuff. Um, and I think now one of the things that I noticed most about. Uh, like I went to a reading of one of my grandma's plays and somebody in the audience said, well, you know, there's not it, that this would do better if you had more kind of like expository stuff to explain everything. And I said, well, you don't go to a play to be explained. Like, if you want to be have exposition, watch TV, watch a movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like here we've become accustomed to uh, things kind of just being explained to us and handed to us. Which again goes back to the whole people seeing yeah. Japanese cinema and going, well, why doesn't it fit the standard of what you know, blah blah blah, what I expect mm-hmm. and blah blah blah. Anyway, I just think it's that this was a, such a smart idea for us to, for suggested by Otis uh, for us to go back and look at uh, some some a great Japanese film. Um, Akira Kurosawa is uh, a titan, and he just mm-hmm. makes some real good. Um, good, 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 good films. Highly recommend this, especially if you know the story. Well, even if you don't know the story of Macbeth, this movie bangs, Uh, but it is a great adaptation. I highly recommend any of the other uh, Toshiro Mifune 
uh, Akira Kurosawa uh, team ups, Seven Samurai. If you haven't seen it, Yojimbo, all that stuff. Um, do you have any other thoughts on this? Do we want to cover anything else? Um, no, I think in terms of the film itself, uh, I think that's that's everything in terms of yeah, Kurosawa, uh, samurai film, um, like. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think we'll definitely have to come back to Kurosawa and do a more auteur um, uh, focused episode. And I would also, say, yeah, and also getting more into kind of the tropes of samurai film and stuff like that because we didn't we didn't really get to cover that that much today, and that's like a whole other can of worms. So I definitely yeah. think we'll come back and talk to it, talk about it a bit more. Um, but this this was a fun way to sort of talk about the sort of influence and sort of like similarities between Western cinema and Japanese cinema without doing the, um, you know, whenever somebody sort of does that comparison, they always talk about Yojimbo, Fistful of Dollars, Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, because those are clear adaptations. Whereas I thought, you know, doing a samurai movie and also talking about Shakespeare would be something different. I don't think the boys and girls and anyone else at home was expecting the boys to come through with some fucking Shakespeare knowledge. I think... Yeah, I think, and also, I, I think this was a good chance for us to flex a little bit of uh, the stuff that we've actually, you know, got a degree for, um, especially yeah. because we're talking about kind of the DNA of of Japanese cinema and, and, and its influence on modern cinema and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I just... It's it was a very uh, I think very smart smart introduction. It also allowed us to talk about what makes Japanese cinema a little bit different from mm-hmm. Hollywood cinema and, uh, and do the compare and contrast, but with a through line of Macbeth, which has been adapted more times on more stages, TV shows, and uh, and movies than um, than probably you could count on all fingers and toes. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I, I don't know, this movie just bangs. Uh, it's a very atmospheric, uh, wild ride through paranoia, greed, um, this culture of, it, 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 I think the adaptation of, from Scott, feudal Scotland to feudal Japan, it just works so well. Um, and it, you know, it's got some amazing, cinematography some amazing you know there are parts this movie is one of those movies where almost all of the scenes like almost all of the uh you know every frame could be a painting you know like it's Mm -hmm. just so beautiful so well done the scene they have there's some definite high points um i especially can't get over the scene of the people walking with the trees um, oh, I just love that. That is just my favorite part of fucking just Macbeth. Like, I just what that scene when it's done right, like it's so fucking sick. Like, it looks like trees are moving, but at the same time, like, it's just like no, this is just people holding branches. Like, it, I don't know. It looks so fucking sick. I love. Yeah. I just love that scene. It's just such a f- visually. Yeah, I, I, I just, it's just love and it, this in this film too, the way that they do it, it, it encapsulates his madness because the trees are like 
undulating and there's fog coming through them and they're just moving menacingly. You're just like, but it's also beautiful. It's strangely beautiful. And then he keeps falling over and being like, <gasps> and then he looks back out the window and they're still there going, you know, coming up. It's just so yeah. good. It's so good. Which is also just like smart fucking, like just thinking of uh, if you're the commander of the army that's trying to invade the castle, just like, oh, hey, let's just carry branches in front of us. Like yeah. that, that was camo for samurais. Just, <laughs> just grab a branch. Yeah, just grab samurai camo. Just grab it, grab a tree, put it on. Yeah. Uh, New tree skin pack just dropped. Yeah. DLC. <laughs> Yo, guys, come over here. Download the brand new tree yeah, DLC before we pass. invade this fortress. Get yeah. the battle pass. You got You're, the battle pass? What? Where's your tree at, bro? You got not, You don't have the battle pass? Okay, man. You, you stay back there. Front lines for battle pass bros only. Hey, we're we're all wearing the battle pass camo, tree camo, except for Jeff. He's wearing the Snoop Dogg cam- skin. Jeff, you're ruining the whole fucking sneak attack, dude. Like, we can see you. Can you it's supposed to be fog, not bunch, smoke. Bunch, like, bunch of, bunch you're, you're, you're too loud, Jeff. And then Snoop Dogg. it's the d-o-double-g um yeah no it's a a great a great film a great way to enter into uh discussing uh you know japanese uh the differences between japanese cinema good chance to talk about jidaigeki film and all that stuff um i guess i should say what we're before we get into a little bit of uh uh ourselves (laughs) <laughs> that's a nice little segue into what's next uh we next week we're gonna do um some uh, uh anime we're gonna do um nothing we're not gonna do animatic anime we're not gonna touch the tv shows or anything like that um but we are going yeah. to talk about probably one of the biggest well-known cinematic anime studios and uh artists um and uh somebody who who has influenced um, animation, uh, uh, influenced kind of art and culture, very defined style, uh, and just a bunch of movies that are actually like really fun to watch and, um, heartwarming. And it's, it's like, uh, and at times terrifying too, depending on which ones you're watching. Um, we are going to talk about studio Ghibli and we are going to talk about Kiki's delivery service. Uh, we went back and forth on which ones to talk about. You know, there's all the, 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 uh, uh no, everyone, it, everyone's probably expecting, you know, oh, what, you didn't do fucking Princess Mononoke or you're fucking spirited away. And it's like, I, no, every other white guy a movie podcast has already done that. Yeah. We're going to do the one that you're not expecting. So we're going to do the fucking cute fucking witch movie because that's sick. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. I mean, Spirited Away is, I remember seeing that in theater when I was, I mean, that I must've been like, I don't even remember when that came out. It must've been 2000 and something 2002 i think because i remember in grade six i went to my buddy jonathan samard's birthday party and his whole birthday party was we're gonna have a Yu-Gi-Oh card tournament and then at the end we watch uh spirited away it was 2001 um 
So I must have seen it when I was like, uh, it yeah, was either I saw like it, I saw it 12. twelve, or it could have been if it could have been that they brought it back at the princess like a year or two later, and I saw it. Either way, I saw Spirited Away, and it was it uh, like blew my mind. I didn't know yeah. how to uh, properly process how sick it was, and then that led me into watching all of the other ones, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, Fantastic, Howl's Moving Castle, all of them. Mm-hmm. All the, all pretty much you can't go wrong with a Ghibli film. Like that's, you, yeah. you can't. And I think My Neighbor Tortoro might be the most heartwarming movie of all fucking time. Like yeah. if um, you don't watch that movie and like feel fuzzy inside and just good, you're fucking dead. Like you're <laughs> dead inside. Like I'm literally telling you that you are dead and you need to like seek... Yeah, maybe get like, tested for sociopathy. <laughs> yeah, or just like call the morgue and tell them to come and pick up your corpse. Yeah, hey, come on, I'm ready. I wa- hey, hey, is this the coroner? Yeah, I just watched my neighbor Tortro and felt nothing. I'm dead. We'll be right there. <laughs> then, yeah, the coroner's like, ah, we've got a dead one. <laughs> get to the corpse mobile. Um, <laughs> um yeah no so we're going to talk about kiki's delivery service uh and um and ghibli and all that stuff it is a very very uh fun heartwarming movie and uh you know we went back and forth talking about what we wanted to which kind of film we wanted to talk about i'm i'm i am saying eventually another japanese anime film that we will talk about will be ghost in the shell um 100% cuz that yeah that was definitely that was the uh the 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 argument was are we doing a ghibli film or ghost in the shell but then yeah cuz if we do ghost in the shell that will also be the matrix episode as well yeah so it'll, it'll probably there will be a there's going to be a ghost in the shell matrix crossover episode at some point for sure i i, I yeah maybe i don't know maybe i don't know we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely talk about ghost in the shell because it's one of my favorite animated movies and we are trying to branch out and do some more uh you know things that that people uh, you know animated films foreign films things like that um also because we want to keep the bangers in our back pocket you know we don't want to we don't want to do all of the big expected films right away so um you know that one will definitely come back around at some point somewhere down the line maybe next year we'll talk about ghost in the shell and we're going to talk about ghost in the shell and the matrix because the matrix pretty much stole like most of its stuff from ghost in the Mm. shell um and ghost in the shell is better I, I i'm not gonna yeah. say a, a better because the first matrix is pretty good but like as far as like i don't know ghost in the shell is pretty goddamn iconic so um yeah yeah we'll talk about that we'll talk about how they relate we'll do all that in another episode but we wanted to mm. do something wholesome something cute and talk about somebody uh, a studio and uh, an artist that um is just being consistently good and consistently putting out uh um very uh enjoyable wholesome and interesting animated films uh mm-hmm. and that have kind of swept the world away into into his his magical 
his and his writer's magical world. Um, And it's, yeah. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to have a little cute episode next week. Talk about Ghibli, talk about uh, Miyazaki. We're going to talk about uh, uh, the film and yeah. So that's what we're doing next week. So that now Mm. that we've got that out of the way, Throne of Blood, fantastic, incredible, amazing. Next Mm -hmm. week, Kiki's Delivery Service, wholesome, fun, cute, awesome, amazing, Ghibli, great. And then we got some other stuff for you later in the month, but we'll talk about it next episode. So now speaking of Kiki-ing, what's going on? What you watching? What you playing? Um, Well, conveniently, we were just talking about Samurais and Kurosawa because a new game just dropped. Uh, that's all completely dedicated. It's a complete homage to that. Um, yesterday, well, I, I pre-ordered this game called Truck to Yomi. It's a it's an indie game by De- Devolver Digital, I think they're called. But um, they've been putting out a lot of games I've been playing recently. Like they put out the Weird West game. They also put out a sick game called Death's Door, which is like sort of like a fun dungeon game if you're into like. Legend of Zelda, like, and like sort of easier Dark Souls type stuff. Death Store is a sick game. But yeah, they put out this game called Trek to Yomi. And it's kind of like a 2D Ghost of Tsushima sort of style. Like, it's just you have a sword. And like, I'm only in like the second level and you get like more weapons, but it's very much, you know, just a sword play sort of 2D game. But the combat is kind of wonky, I will say that, but it is an indie game. It did just come out literally yesterday, so I imagine that'll be fixed. But holy fuck, this game looks so fucking good! Like it's all in black and white, and it looks like it looks and feels like a samurai film. Like you know, like how Ghost of Shima had the Kurosawa mode. Well, this game is just that the whole way through. It looks fucking sick. And even like the world and the some of the camera angles they use, since it's like 2D and has like a fixed camera angle. Sometimes it's kind of a pain in the ass, but sometimes it's like I can barely see what I, I'm doing, but holy shit, this landscape is fucking beautiful. Like it's such a good looking game. Um yeah, if you have Xbox Game Pass, I'm pretty sure it's free on the Game Pass, but if you're on PlayStation, it's like 20 bucks. And yeah, so I've been playing that, and I thought, I didn't even think of like, I was like, oh shit, I didn't even, you know, realize Put that we were going to be talking together, yeah. about this. So yeah, the game's sick. Like, if you're into Ghost of Tsushima or like Sekiro, like it's like Sekiro, like has a lot of like fucking, you know, it's a lot of uh, blocking, counter and reposting and fucking uh, parrying and shit like that. If you're into games like that, but kind of want to play an arcadey sort of 2D version of it, this is Trek to Yomi's the game, man. It's pretty sick. Like, I don't know. I'm playing it on the hardest difficulty and I'm actually having a fun time playing it. So. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. We love uh we love an independent release. Um yeah. I, I haven't really been watching anything. Multiverse of Madness comes out today. Uh I'll be actually interested in seeing what Sam Raimi does with the uh the whole Doctor Strange thing. Um, but I again probably won't see it for a little bit. Uh, you know, really what I um, my lovely partner Megan came up from Pennsylvania on the weekend. Uh, we did have a enjoyable night together. We had a fire. We ate some pizza. I actually had a great time. Um, and I, I yeah, hope that's that you fun and, as fuck. Yeah, I hope that you and Pear did too because we had such a good time. 
And it was just a, a bunch of laughter and having a good time. It was much needed. Um, but aside from that, we've oh, just yeah. been kind of watching uh, uh, a um, a collection of odd odd shows. Uh, I, I've dipped my toe back into the world of ghost adventures um, nice. just because I, I found out that I got uh, uh, a, a free month of um, Disney Plus, not Disney, Discovery Plus. Uh, oh, nice. So I, I, I'm checking that out uh, and I've been watching Ghost Adventures. Um, I don't, you know, like I would love to go like, you know, ghost hunt or whatever. But like some of the times, like even if it's real or fake, like these guys go to these places and there's like, they're like, oh, yeah, this woman is suffering from like a demonic spirit entity that's in their house and then they cut to the girl and she's like hey, hey, and, and all of a sudden mm. the lights turn on and off and the doors are banging and stuff's happening and i'm like how are you guys staying here like i'd be out of there so quick yeah. like i'm not sticking or oh you saw a full-bodied apparition walking down the hallway and now you're yelling at it why yeah it makes for entertaining I've, tv but <laughs> i've never yeah i've never understood that i at a very young age saw the Eddie Murphy special where he has the joke about the movie Poltergeist where he's like where he's just like ah honey this house is really nice and then the ghost is just like get out oh honey too bad we can't say it goodbye <laughs> see ya it's like yeah like, you're, I mean you're out of there man like no yeah. oh here we're using the spirit box what word comes through kill demon kill alright so we need to set up the cameras and I need to start yelling at it you yeah. absolute fool show yourself. And it's like, dude, do you want to, do you want to get possessed and have a heart attack? Cause that's how you get possessed and have a heart attack, dude. Like, yeah, maybe don't scream at the devil. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like the, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, no, I've been watching that. Uh, we've been, we started the new season, uh, the latest season of RuPaul's drag race, um, which has been entertaining and enjoyable. Um, unfortunately, since we live so far apart and uh, she can't access it down in the States with the services she has, we had to take a, put a pause on it. But so far, the season's been entertaining. Um, and there's some queens that uh, that I, I'm excited to see how far they go. Some of them kind of annoying. Uh, but that's what you get every season, right? There's a, yeah. the ones you like and the ones you don't like. Aside from that, I don't really know what uh, I haven't really been watching a lot or playing a lot. Just, you know, some Rocket League here and there. And um, did I watch any movies? Oh, I guess I watched the end of uh, Moon Knight, which I really enjoyed um, Yeah, as a series. Wow. I thought it was pretty. In, I thought it was, yeah, pretty enjoyable. I, I, I it's definitely not the worst thing to watch. And it's a, a different character and a different kind of vibe. If you like uh, Marvel stuff, but you're kind of getting tired of the cookie cutter, um, this one is a little bit different. Plus, Oscar Isaac, he's he's just a great actor, uh, yeah. and he does a good job. Um, same with Ethan Hawke. Like you know, Ethan Hawke is a is a a, a a real ace in the whole actor, and just delivers almost every time. So, um, you know. It's uh, it was enjoyable. I think that's pretty much it. I don't have a lot to to bring to the table. Um, uh, I don't know anything else that you've been watching, enjoying. Uh, what did I watch? I don't know. I watched a horror movie called Basket Case from the eighties. That movie is fucking ridiculous. 
like I, I just wanted to put on like a ridiculously stupid um horror movie and that movie if you ever just want to like shut your brain off and watch a man walk around with a mutant in his basket in a lunch basket <laughs> that that's that's the fucking that's the one to go um yeah, uh, I meant to go see a movie this week called The Sadness. It's like a Taiwanese like horror zombie movie, and it's playing at the Princess. And I really wanted to go see it, and it just hit me today that I should go see it. But now it's not fucking playing there anymore. So if anybody knows where this movie is playing, it's called The Sadness, uh, let me know so I can go and see it, because it looks fucking bloody and gory. Um, but... Yeah, no, I haven't really done much this last week. I've been very, very low-key. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a couple albums uh, last week. um, Future's album and Bronson's album came out. Uh, Bronson's album, actually really good. I really enjoy it. Very solid. I mean, it's it's a very Bronson album. Um, You know, as we said last week, it's, you know, some, some, uh, you know, various european music samples and him rapping his ass off um yeah uh, but it's i really enjoyed it i i i uh spent some time with it and it's it's very solid i mean if you like bronson you're gonna like it he does a good job um yeah. learn to swim red veil uh a young rapper out of i think maryland i don't know exactly where he's from but uh he put out learn to swim i actually really enjoy it i think it's pretty uh interesting uh and different um and he's a young cat can't wait to see where he goes with all of that uh and then of course today we had come home the kids miss you jack harlow um i'm i'm still giving it i'm still giving it a bit of time there's parts of it i don't like there's parts of it i like uh but i'm just happy to see jack harlow doing well um i've listened to him since like 2016 uh, so it's really cool to see him succeeding and I congratulate him on his success. Plus the Drake feature, uh, it's finally Drake is rapping, rapping, which is really nice because I wasn't too thrilled with uh certified lover boy. Uh, so his feature is really cool. It's got, so they've got some, he's got Pharrell, Drake, Justin Timberlake and Lil Wayne as the features. So that's, I mean, that's pretty hard. That's, that's a pretty, pretty good selection of, uh, of features. If I do say so myself, um, nice. but yeah, there's a bunch more coming this month. Music wise, I do believe we have uh, Kendrick Lamar. I'm sure we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, Body language is finally dropping this month, and Big Body Bez has been doing a press circuit, going to certain podcasts, and uh, he was on Desus and Mero, and he was on a New Rory and Mall. And uh, and he's popping up a little bit more. And it seems like he and Action have settled whatever was going on between them because uh, they're, they've been retweeting each other's stuff and whatever. So you love to see friendship rekindled. And I can't wait to hear body language. Uh, and uh, I think there's some more albums that are coming out too, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, so I'm sure there's going to be lots of juicy stuff. Yeah. This uh, this this month, uh, as we do our Japanese cinema month, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else? Uh, no, not really. Uh, no, I can just go into what I I've got personally coming up these yeah, next out, two months. The, uh... Yeah. 
All righty. So I don't know if you're in Waterloo, May 17th, got a comedy show at the Duke of Wellington on King Street, Waterloo. Come on out to that. I think it starts at like 7.30 or 8 or something. Um, there's tickets available on Eventbrite. Uh, check out the Fever Dream comedy Facebook page, website, or whatever. And yeah, get tickets or yeah, come on out. And then um, yeah, June 16th or yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. June 16th is the... Uh, premiere for uh snow blinded so come on out to that uh that'll be a fun thing tickets are available right now through something i don't know i think uh there was a website actually i did have an actual website um because yeah so june 16th and now if you go uh until tuesday from now until or I guess never mind. This is over. But there was like a two buy three tickets, get one, whatever. But just go to snowblindedmovie.com and you can get tickets for that. And then the Regicide premiere is like a week after. I keep I don't know why I just don't have these fucking dates written down, but Regicide premiere. Hold on. It's uh it's on the princess website now. There we go. June 26th at the fucking Princess. That's a Sunday, 7 p.m. Come on out, see Regicide. It's on the official Princess Cinema uh, website. So, um, yeah. Uh, I think, actually, that might be a free screening. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a free screening. So, if you just want to come and see that at the movie, and, you know, I think, yeah, it says $10 donation. So, yeah, you just want to come and hang out with a bunch of the people that made the movie cast and crew, um, come out and see that, uh, regicide's a really fun movie. Um, it's just like kind of a really straightforward, fun thriller. And it's definitely not like snow blinded snow blinded was made intentionally to upset people. Uh, so, um, yeah, if snow blinded doesn't seem like your bag, uh, I think regicide might be more your bag. Like it's yeah. Like anyway, so yeah, that's my shit. Follow me, Twitter, Instagram, OS Morris, dude. That's all. I'll shut up now. And uh, yeah, if you guys uh, can't make it uh, I, I, to, to either of those, we will be doing uh, a recap uh, uh, with probably some clandestine uh, 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 content from those uh, after they uh after the premieres we'll do a recap and talk about all of that but we'll both be there uh, if you're in the region and you listen and you want to come out support otis and support independent filmmakers and you want to say what's up to us we will be there um at both of them and um yeah it's good it's going to be sick i'm i'm proud of of otis for being a part of two actual movies and i can't wait to see the final products and yeah as uh, for me, uh, I do have a single. I know I keep saying it's going to come out. It's just been so busy. Um, I'm going to drop, try and drop two singles this month uh, and uh, and then uh, keep on rolling down towards July, August, whenever the uh, album drops. I also have Palm Reader Music, finally, that is 
pretty much ready. I'm just waiting for a couple of things. And so that's going to come out, some of that stuff. Anyway, got music, music coming. Just life got busy this month. Uh, some more stuff will come, but you can always check out uh, When I Feel the Light. These things happen. Different now. My EP from last year. Uh, you can listen to Palm Reader music on and Anxiety Weekend music on all streaming services. Just look up Palm Reader, all caps, or uh, Anxiety Weekend. Check that stuff out. Um, yeah. And some, I'll drop some singles this month. It's just, uh, April turned out to be a bit of a crazy, crazy busy month. Um, yeah. uh, and that's it. You can follow me on Instagram, Palm reader, uh, P A L M R E A D R that's Palm reader without the last E or Twitter at P L M R D R. We'll be back next week with Kiki's delivery service and, yeah. uh, and some more, uh, some more, some more Japanese cinema yeah. getting into anime. I just need to clarify one thing. It's snowblindedmovie.com, not snowblindedfilm. Snowblindedmovie.com. Get your motherfucking tickets. Yeah, so go get tickets to that and then come out to Regicide too and we'll just we'll yeah. chill. We'll have a good time. All right, we'll be back next week. Uh, Throne of Blood, fantastic. Kurosawa, fantastic. If this stuff interests you uh, or you found this at all interesting, I highly recommend checking out uh, Throne of Blood and checking out more of his films. We will come back and talk about them more in a year or something. But um, yeah, this was a banger first episode, Japanese Cinema Rules, and we'll be back next week, Kiki's Delivery Service. Always remember to initiate the protocol. Peace. Peace.